It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What is going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Before we start, um, I have a Discord channel. Go get involved. The link is in the description. We talk about all things, everything on there, really. Um, go check it out. Also, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Um, and it just helps the show go over and over again. Um, and we can bring more and more guests. So... Thank you very much. If you do subscribe and you do listen regularly, it means means the world. I'm having a lot of people come to shows and kind of tell me that they're enjoying the podcast. I get a lot of DMs every every day, pretty much. So thank you so much for that. It means a lot. Podcast time. Hannah Lang. Um, this girl is just absolutely amazing. Uh, I started speaking to her, I think, during COVID or just coming out of COVID. Um, and then we write some records together. Uh, she's just genuinely one of the most amazing human beings I've met in this industry and also is absolutely blowing up. Um, we speak about this on the podcast, um, but she's literally like the biggest thing that's happened since sliced bread in the UK at this moment in time. Coming straight out of Scotland, her Scottish fans are on another level of support um, and it's just so beautiful to see. UK top tens, um, streaming's going through the roof, ticket sales are going through the roof for her. Like everybody wants a piece of Hannah and I'm so happy for her. She's just absolutely amazing. So I thought I'd get her on the podcast. I'm gonna shut up, get and enjoy this one. It's a good one without further ado. Hannah Lang. Miss Hannah Lang. 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 Always. Lang. Lang. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's cooking? Not much. Long time no see. I missed that beard of yours. I know, it's been a while, hasn't it? When was the last time I saw you? I think it was when I was in your studio. No, no, it wasn't. It was Elro Barcelona. Oh, yeah. I like saw you like for like two minutes. Yeah, then you had to boost. <laughs> yeah, how did the um, how did the ticket launch go? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, first of all, for being late, <laughs> but it was in chaos. Uh, yeah, so just like... Obviously, recently the parties have been going so well and everybody's been buying tickets to see me. So I just wanted to put on some free parties. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the demand has just been crazy. And as you can imagine what my phone's like. But so obviously I'm just doing small capacity venues. And just I'm, I'm doing like a 200 capacity venue in Glasgow and there's 8,000 signups. Jesus Christ, Hannah. Yesterday, I just put up the sign up like yesterday. That is mental. 
<laughs> I know, honestly, I can't believe it. So, yeah, they just put them out there and everyone's like, um, is Skittle broken? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this gone? And then I'm like, there's no guest list because it's a three party because everyone's messaging me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is amazing. 8,000. No, it's mental. Honestly, I can't even comprehend it. It's surreal. So at this point, I'm like, I'm sorry. What else can I do? I'm doing three parties. But because a lot of people are obviously missing out on tickets. But I mean, it's a good position to be in but can't please everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing is, it's a nice thing that you're doing that. And it's also like, just, I don't know, is there's something about just, especially in the, the position where you're at, where things have kind of got crazy for you over the last like 18 months, but being able to just put a party on, that's like zero stress, like you can just go and bang it out and in with pretty much your closest fans, because they're the ones that are going to, get on on the ticket straight away and it's free and there's no stress you don't have to worry about it. you don't have to worry about selling thousands of tickets promoters yeah. stressing it's something beautiful about that yeah no definitely um i done one in manchester a few months ago i was done it on a small boat and you're right it was intimate and it was all the people that really were supporting you so the energy from start to finish was amazing so i'm expecting the same for these especially in glasgow <laughs> Can't wait. You Scots are fucking mental, put it that way. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> I want to um I want to go back because I think I obviously a lot of people know who you are. Um you've kind of come on the scene and doing crazy shit. I remember I literally remember you sat in the studio here and I think it was like the pool party, like the abandoned pool party. Oh yeah, in Manchester you know, it was. In Manchester <laughs> when you were like you literally just announced it and you had like 800 signups and it was like a 600 capacity show. And I was like, mate, this is going to go mental like for you. Like I always kind of knew from when we first started talking, like how big it was going to grow for you. However, people don't know the like the long hustle that it's taken for you to get to where you're at. And the like, so I kind of want to go back from like the beginning. So kind of people can understand how long it's been. Yeah, I think... So where did we start? Yeah, thing, because things have blown up quickly in such a short space of time. Like, a lot of people will comment stuff and say, like, oh, like, I've never heard you, or you're so new and stuff. And like, yeah. like, I am new to the whole, this kind of scene, but, like, it's been 10 years, 10 and a half years now. Yeah. It's 10 years this March since I've had my first show, first started DJing, and... Um, my, I started DJing because like, my mum and dad are heavily into like old school house trance music. Like, they had me when they were 17 years old. So all grown up, they were still raving. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and like, the, so the music they used to listen to was obviously what I'd grown up with. And that's the music I really got into. And when I was old enough, well, I say old enough, since I was 15, <laughs> and I was able to start sneaking into the raves, that's when I was going to the raves because like, I just loved the music so much. Started going up to all the raves and I started meeting people like it was just locally. Um, I started meeting the DJs from my area and then um, I was like, oh, no, I need to learn how to DJ. So when I was 18, um, I got my first wee set of decks. It was a wee Hercules controller. Um, and I knew a couple of guys that were running events in Dundee. Um, one of them, Scott Williams, he actually taught me how to DJ um, on this little controller and he gave me my first gig. Amazing. Um, and it was in a small pub in our growth. And I remember like that's about half an hour from where I live and all my mates and family came through, like I put on a bus, they all came through to see me. Um, and then that was my first ever gig, a wee gig in a pub. And then 
about six months later, I went to, I was dental nursing at the time and I was like, mm, this is not for me. <laughs> and I, I went, I ended up doing a season in Ibiza. I just wanted to go and work in a... What year was that? That was, well, that was 10 years ago. So 2013. Okay, yeah. And then when I went over to Ibiza, I thought I'll just, I don't want to be working in the dentist. I just want to be close to the chins all summer. So when I was going over to Ibiza, obviously I'd, I'd literally think I've been DJing for like five or six months. And I still didn't know how to DJ really. But <laughs> So I wasn't expecting to go to Ibiza and DJ. I just wanted to party and get a job in a pub or um, PR or whatever. And then um, I was used to hang around the Highlander Scotch bar using the Wi-Fi all the time because I didn't have Wi-Fi in my apartment. Such a Scott, you have to go into the Highland Highlander pub. Typical. I mean, yeah. Do you know what? I still, I'm not just saying this because I'm Scottish, but it's definitely the best bar on the West End. It's meant. Uh, but yeah, and and we never had wife on anything. I was sharing an apartment with about six random people I'd met online. Um, they were all English. None of them wanted to come to the Highlander, so I just go on my own. So outside, felt quite at home there because it was all Scottish people, and I was able to chat to them because it was quite daunting. I was only 18, and I was like yeah. going over to do my first season. Um, so I'd go and use the Wi-Fi and I got chatting to them on, like I'd said, oh yeah, to do a wee bit of DJ and just sliding that in there. Um, and then they took my number and stuff and and it was like the day after or something, I got a phone call from one of the bosses, like like we've got our DJs for all summer, like sorry, but like we're desperate for a DJ for a hen party tonight. And I was like, sound, I'll be there. <laughs> so I was supposed to DJ for like two hours or something. And <laughs> I remember I was like, what am I going to play? So I was playing all like vocals and all that for the women. Um, they were loving it. And then it ended up, they ended up just asking me to stay on the thing. I played for like five, six hours that night. That's the longest I'd ever played. And I was like, I was loving it. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just played an IP for a while. It was a hen party, but it was class. And I just couldn't believe that that had happened. Yeah. And then the next day, he phoned me again, asked me to go back down. He was, then he handed me money. And I was like, what's that for? He's like, that's for last night. And I was like, what was the first time I'd ever been paid to DJ? Because I'd only ever done a few pub gigs mm. back home. And you obviously don't get paid. Um, I think I'd got like I think it was 60 euro or something for like five hours. And I was like, oh my God. And then he was like, oh, you can, we've got, we want to offer you three nights a week upstairs, DJ in the Highlander. And I was like, are you joking? So that was my re residency. And then I used to, start at 11 at night, finish at six in the morning, like seven hours a night. And that's honestly how I learned to DJ. Like I knew the tunes, I knew that. To be honest, that's the most part that you needed as long as you knew the tunes to play to people. But really learning how to mix and work a dance floor, cause DJing for seven hours a night because people would go there and leave and go there and leave because they would go there before the club. They wouldn't necessarily spend the full night there. So you were playing to an empty dance floor, a full dance floor. Um, yeah, and then that's how it really started for me. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it was pretty much a similar thing for me where like I I learned how to DJ before moving to Ibiza, but to play in such long sets every single day, seven days. Like I think I was doing 12 hour sets seven days a week and you're just like, yeah, you're just so used to, you, you get so used to just being behind the decks and it's just, it's kind of like, for me, I don't know about you, but it's actually, I know you still like to rave, but like it, yeah being behind the decks i'm way more comfortable than being in a rave right okay see i, I think i'm the opposite <laughs> i get so anxious being behind the decks but in the rave i'm like at home you do get really <laughs> nervous don't you yeah so bad yeah are still you, are you still there do you does it still hit you yes i'm like sick before most shows and i think more i think it's got worse 
as things have got bigger because I think it was really when I've always been like the support act and it yeah. wasn't really that stressful. And now people are buying tickets to see you. You mm. feel like the pressure more of it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I'm playing to bigger crowds. And yeah, something I've been really trying to get on top of, but I'm still, you know, remember El Rol, I was like, well, oh my God, help. Because like, yeah, like things have been massive for me in the UK, but things are only starting to grow for me outside the UK now. And yeah. um, we were obviously in Barcelona and like I never really played I'd also played Ibiza but it's all UK people there anyway but Elro Barcelona ended up being a UK crowd mainly anyway it's because it was so, trick it was because it was trick wasn't it yeah so yeah I know I think it just takes a bit of adjustment things have gone so big so quickly no one can prepare you for that so no. yeah it does cause anxiety but as soon as I play my first few songs I'm in flow and I'm loving it but I think it's like 30 to 20 minutes before I go on have you have you tried to work on that? Yeah, yeah, I'm really trying to work on it. What, what are you? How are you working with on that? What, what are you doing? Like I've been going to a life coach and like basically having to do like meditation before I go on. It's got yeah. like three minute meditations in my AirPods because like see busy green rooms and everybody's like ah, like it really makes me so anxious. Like before my Creamfield set there. I made a mistake of walking up on the stage and having to look before I went on and there was like 30,000 people there and no joke, I had to walk back the stairs and like, I was like physically anxious, like my chest was so tight. Really? I was like, I thought, how am I going to do this? Like I genuinely thought I was going to have a panic attack. I was being uncontrollably sick, the sick wouldn't stop. And then I was like, oh, I really can't handle this. And the, even the DJ booth was so busy. Some people think, if you're asking people to stand back in the DJ booth, like you're being a diva, but actually it makes me feel so like claustrophobic and anxious. And I was said to my agent, like, can you please ask everyone to stand back? Because like, I'm like struggling to breathe here. Yeah. Like, so yeah. So I am really trying because it's not fun. You think I can't do the show, but genuinely it's so weird. As soon as I play my first two songs, three songs, and I get the crowd's energy and I know everything's okay, it just switches. But I would rather not have that 30 minutes of hell for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because it, it makes it unenjoyable, the first yeah. the first section. And realistically, yeah. like that walking up on stage and seeing so many people yeah. can be like one of the most beautiful feelings. For me, yeah. it is anyway. It's like, for me, it's just yeah. like unbelievable feeling going, fuck it. Like yeah. I might press the wrong button, but it doesn't matter. It's like, it is what it is. How yeah. How's the whole life coach thing helping that and switching that like what's what's the process if you don't mind me going into too much detail be honest with you like he manages to put like we have conversation every week and he manages to break things down for me mm -hmm. in a way where it really makes me think like what the fuck am i anxious for like for example you'll say so what is it you're scared of and i'll be like oh in case i mess up or in yeah. case i stop the music or in case they don't like it he's like and if that does happen what is the worst that will happen yeah and i'm like yeah nothing i'll just clap it out or fix it or and he's like and i'm like yeah when i'm talking to him <laughs> and he breaks it down like that i'm like yeah like it's okay like it's yeah. fine if that does happen um and yeah we're just basically trying to have conversations like that every week and other things as well i think like having all the stress of the week um will feed into that yeah. coming to the shows. So like people think, oh, you just show up and DJ at the weekend, but actually we're so busy through the week doing everything else that comes with it. Yeah. So just trying to manage my time better um, and like have ways working with my management that suit me better as well. Um, like trying to not do any work past certain times and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it is difficult 
it's, it's <laughs> tough, mate. I totally can relate to that, especially recently for me. It's like I was literally just talking to my assistant just a second ago and was like, mate, I cannot be bothered with today. Like, I just want a fucking day. Like, I got back yesterday at seven in the morning and I just want to, like, I packed my suit, unpacked all my suitcases because I sold my house in America. So oh, I, like, I, I, like, bought everything back and just, like, yeah, today I just woke up and was like, I just can't be fucked with today. But you, the show has to go on, right? Yeah. And, yeah. like, yeah. I've got five podcasts today and I've got to talk to five people and just fucking bosh it out. Mm. And yeah. as much as I love doing these, there, there does come a point when there's those days where, like, do you do you ever find where you're, like, busy doing shit for your career, but you're actually I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's like, I'm just doing shit that doesn't actually need to be done. Yeah, I think like a lot of the time, well, more so now, I'm saying no a lot more. But before I'd be like, yeah, yeah, doing everything because you think that you need to do that. But actually when you strip it back and think about it, I'm like, does this really need to be done? Or yeah, basically, yeah, I do do that. (laughs) How do you find the balance between like the stress i know it, 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 I, I i don't know i guess for you you're selling crazy tickets right which is amazing do you still stress about selling tickets yeah yeah like everyone else can see that these tickets are going to sell apart from me yeah <laughs> i do yeah and like now i'm gonna do a UK tour. Okay, I don't know how much more I could say on this because I don't know when this is going out, but I think it's sound. I'm um, doing a UK tour and a lot of the shows we're doing two. Yeah, so, that's crazy. Right, so because the venues are, well, not big enough and it feels mad, mad for me to even say that. And I'm stressing, but everyone else is like, no, like we've got this data. It's going to be sound. Yeah. And like I'm doing two hometown shows, which I'm a bit more confident about. But then I'm doing two in like Belfast, I'm doing two in Liverpool. And these are crazy capacity venues. I'm doing like weekenders, yeah. like double headliners. And I'm like stressing out. But it's not until I see that it's sold out or yeah. like even if it doesn't sell out, like it doesn't matter as long as there's people, enough people there, then I would be happy. But yeah, obviously for the, the double ones, they need to sell out. But yeah. It's, how, uh, how does it feel though? Like taking the stress away, how does it like truly feel to be like, Literally this time last year, you weren't, you were barely headlining. No, I was still working in the dentist. Yeah, I remember, like, I think you came over here and you, I think the next week you were just quitting the dentist. Yeah. Yeah, it was October the 21st last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, like, left. literally, like, yeah, a week, a year ago this week. Yeah, it's mental. And as you said, besides all the stress, God, I'm super ungrateful. It is the most amazing feeling because this is genuinely what I've wanted my whole life. Mm. And, well, for the last 10 years. And, like, obviously I've been doing dental nursing alongside this. And to now be in this position, not having to do dental nursing anymore, just living your dream, doing your passion, playing music to people... It's insane. It's so insane. It still doesn't feel real. Like I can't explain it. Yeah. It's see, the shows are obviously what gives me the most energy. And just being in that moment with everybody, everybody's going absolutely mental, feeding off their energy. You're giving them energy. 
there's no other feeling like that in the world, like nothing. <laughs> what do the parents say? <laughs> they absolutely love it. They're like, <laughs> they, they think it's mental how mates with all the DJs that they grew up listening to now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they just think it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, Pete Tong's just asked me to do a mix. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, they, they will still come to the shows that they can. Um, and they'll absolutely have it off. Like, even my grand, like she, my grand doesn't necessarily like the music, but she just loves seeing me happy. And yeah. she, she came to one of my shows for the first time, like six years ago. And she was right at the front. Like she actually came home with like bruises all over her arms. Like she was like getting chucked about because she didn't want to come backstage. Like she wanted to be at the front. And then I took her to one of my other shows last year and I brought her backstage. And I was like, no, you're going to get thrown about. She's like, she says, um, she went to the first rave when she was 16. It was the best day of her life. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's born in the family, 100%. Um, yeah, how was it How was it growing up um, in, in Scotland where you're at? How, how was it kind of trying to be a DJ, trying to be in the music industry? Um, do you know what? It was actually, remember, at the start, it was a bit difficult because there wasn't actually that, like, a lot, it was a lot more male dominated at that time, so yeah. 10 years ago. Um, there still is more male dominated, but there is so many more females now through, which is amazing to yeah. see. But I actually remember that this stuck with me. I, my nickname used to be, my mates used to call me Coco, right? So my DJ name was DJ Coco when I first started, right? Why, and, why, please explain this nickname. But I don't know because. Like there was this, I think there was a nightclub or something called Coco Cabana. They just called me Coco Cabana Hannah. And then Coco <laughs> stopped. And then everyone just used to call me Coco. And then I was like, DJ Coco. And obviously I thought it was cool at that time. But And then it obviously started to cringe me out in a few years. So I changed changed my name just to my normal name. Um, and I remember posting on Facebook, um, like announcing the first ever gig I'd done. And like, I was like, DJ Coco got my first gig and pop or whatever and I remember like everybody was like I had a lot of support don't get me wrong but a lot of people going in on it and like it was weird for people to see a female yeah. like an 18 year old to be a DJ and, and it was difficult but I think the more people came to see me and like the more I was networking with people around Scotland and then people understood it like I wasn't just doing this to be cool or whatever like I genuinely loved the music yeah um and that showed from a young age, you know what I mean? And yeah, it just took a little while for people to understand. And as I said, now there is a lot more females, so it's more normal. <laughs> I want to talk about Scottish fans because, and just like the <laughs> north of England, just generally, they're yeah. fucking mental. And they like, in like the best possible way, like they support their home talent so much. It's like unbelievable. Like yeah. how did, how when did that when did you notice that kind of started happening for you like when did you notice that the like the home support was like super real so i had only ever dj'd in scotland and obviously ibiza yeah and obviously i, I built up a really loyal scottish following because i was playing everywhere in scotland like i would run buses from dundee and sell the tickets to everyone from Dundee and surrounding areas for the shows I would play at. Yeah. So I was meeting everybody in Scotland playing all these gigs. And then when I was going to Ibiza because I was teaching in the Highlander, it was the Scottish turning yeah. around all summer, meet loads of people. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Because everybody's Scottish at my shows anyway. And then 
when I played Creamfields last year, when things really started to move for me, I was playing on the trick stage and I was on first. It was like two in the afternoon. Now, this was a like 20,000 capacity stage and I was more than grateful to be playing on that. But I still did have that worry that no one was going to show up when I was on first. Um, playing a stage that size to no one, it was still was getting into my head. And um, then I showed up, it was like 20 to 2 and just having a little mix in the booth monitors. There was no music playing to anyone else. And there were people sitting on the grass and that. And I was like, oh. And then literally within about 20 minutes, it filled the stage was full. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Like that's the first, and this was obviously in England at Creamfields. So this is my first huge show like that and outside Scotland as well. And I was like, oh my God. And everybody was waving Scottish flags around. Now, I never knew this was going to happen or anybody was bringing these. I was like, what is going on? And I just could not believe it. And they were singing, no Scotland, no party. <laughs> and was, because there was no music on yet. Because yeah. I was the first one on the stage and I was going to be pressed and play. So they were all chanting that before they came on. And, like, I just felt something I've never felt before. I was like, this is patriotic. <laughs> it's body yeah. mental. And yeah, there was like a sea of blue for Scotland and I just couldn't believe it. And ever since then, playing outside Scotland, like anywhere I go, there will be at least one Scotland flag. There's usually oh, more wow. than that. And it's actual mental. It's so crazy. Like, you know, I was just playing in Tenerife there all weekend for trekking. People like wearing Scotland tops and bringing Scotland flags on the boat parties and in the clubs and like everywhere I go. And it just makes me feel so lucky. Like, it's such a community of support. I feel like because Scotland is a smaller place than like England, for example, when someone is doing well, it's a real community and that mm. support means so much. If you're like, I will focus on, like if I'm nervous or whatever, I always focus on these people with the flags or whatever because I know they're giving it full energy. Like it helps me so much and makes me feel so good. I love that. No, it's always been something that I've just been truly amazed by like the Scottish and the Irish fans as well where like how much they get behind their own people. And yeah. it's really interesting because I think in a lot of countries, like let's say for instance, like Australia or even England in your like hometowns in a lot of sense, there's like the, the like small poppy syndrome where like if you rise to be bigger than a lot of people, there's a lot of people that don't like it. Yeah. And, and I think I've spoken to many people about that on this podcast and it's really interesting the fact that like, you have like Scotland is obviously the population is way smaller than England and the same with Ireland, but it's, it's such a community. Yeah. And I think it's so important for, I don't think people realize like that come to your shows and, or that support their local artists, how important it is for us to kind of see those people come to our shows on a regular and how nice it is to like, just build a rapport with fans that, we just constantly see all the time. And, and I think you've got a whole community, which is fucking crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it is. Honestly, I feel so lucky to have the support that I do because like, without them, I would be nothing. And like, I do trying to engage with fans and stuff a lot. And people are like, oh, you always make time for us. And I just don't think that they understand how much I couldn't do this without them as totally. well. Oh, we couldn't do any of it without them. Exactly. Yeah. Like everything that we do, like even, and the thing is, I think it's like, on on your scale it's huge if you know what i mean but like even if you're like just starting off as the local dj the fact that two of your mates show up every fucking time and then you get like a random person that comes to every single show like that just the start of that just means everything means everything because like you're literally having to beg people to come before and now it's like it's switched 
Mm. Like I, I put on my, I remember putting on my first party, and it was only a few years ago. Um, I was running parties called Hannah's Choice, and I was literally messaging people asking mm. them to come. Like hundreds of people, I, I sold like ninety five tickets or something. Yeah. That was in, and now it's totally switched. People can't get tickets, and I'm like, what is going on? And yeah, it's because of all the support. It's amazing. Where, when I know you said Creamfields was like the change for you, which I remember talking to, talking to you about that here, and when that especially went on live, it, did it, it it was streamed live as well, wasn't it, or yeah, did it go on YouTube? No, did it not go on YouTube? No, because I was on first. The first few didn't get streamed. Uh, okay. Um, after that, what was what did you see change? Well, the bookings start coming. So everyone was talking about the set. And everyone was saying, oh, like, where can we see you again after Creamfields? People were talking about it online. So I think promoters then started wanting to book me. And then because of people seeing that set, people from like England, Scotland or wherever started wanting to see me at other shows. So the demand was just getting bigger and bigger for the mm. shows. Um, and then obviously the promoters seen that and then started getting loads of bookings that I'd never had in places that I'd never played. It was mental. Yeah, it's mad. <laughs> Yeah, it spiraled from there until obviously good love. <laughs> and now, good love. <laughs> let's, t- let's talk about this. <laughs> like, did it get, what was it? Number five, number six? Number seven. It peaked number at number seven. seven. Like, it's, I think it was still in the top 40 for like a long time after that. <laughs> number seven, UK. And let's be honest, like, how many records did you release before that? Maybe like... 10? Yeah, if that, yeah. So you're 10 records in. Let's just say 10 records. About that. And your 10th record goes to number seven in the UK charts. And now I looked at this more and I think it's a 43 million streams on Spotify. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like... I was- it's crazy what the fuck's happened in the last year. Like I, li- I literally was like thinking before this com- conversation and like, I know there's a lot of history and, and this is why I respect it so much because it's, although everyone thinks that not everyone, and this is not me being disrespectful, but a lot of people think, oh, it's like an overnight success. If you know yeah. what I mean, of course people think that. And, but people yeah. don't realize how long you've been doing it. But yeah. like, even in the last year, like if, even if everyone knew how long you've been working, like the fact that the change has happened in literally a year from from this week, right? Where you give up your full-time job to having a UK number seven. And the UK number seven, like we like dance music in our charts, but like you just took it to another level. It's like you fucking put a donk on it and it got... <laughs> And it got to like the charts, which is unheard of. I feel like there's been such a movement with the sound at the moment. It's so funny because I remember being in your studio and I was, and we were making a tune together. And I was like, now, nah, well, faster, faster. You're like, no, Hannah, this is fast enough. And it was like 135 BPM. And I was like, now, nah, well, it needs to be faster. <laughs> and this one was 140 BPM right in the chart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You were right. <laughs> And that's the thing is like, <clears throat> you grew up on this music. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the the passion you have, like I remember the records you were playing me. Like I, 
I knew a lot of the records, but for me, it was like, this is just so not my vibe, if you know yeah. what I mean. And, yeah. and, I, and I love that, that you're truly, I've worked with a lot of people in the studio over the years and written for a lot of people and vice versa. And there's a lot of people that come in not really knowing what they want, like not really kind of understanding their direction and they're only purely taking their direction from what's being what's successful and what's happening at the moment and what everyone else is doing and or what sound they need to get to to become successful and it was one thing that kind of stood out for me was you just knew exactly what you want yeah <laughs> where did that come from um, do you know what? It's so strange because it actually did take me a while to find my sound because I knew I loved House and Trance. Like classic House and Trance was what I loved. Yeah. That's what made me feel. There's something in trance music that just makes me feel something that a lot of music doesn't. Like the emotion in it, it's ridiculous. And yeah. I was never, ever able to play that music for the last, what, nine years until things got massive. Occasionally I could because I was playing all these shows like pubs and clubs and playing any brand I could have just to yeah. get the show for the experience. And I liked DJing, but I was playing any music, hip hop, R&B, EDM, house, tech house, anything, just yeah. anything. And I actually used to put on House and Trans Classics nights locally just so I could play that music. Mm -hmm. And this was in, you're talking 2016, 2017, just small parties, but I... I loved it because I could play all this classic stuff and like that's what I really loved. And then like when I was getting into the studio more and stuff, I was like trying to use these influences um into like I love techno and stuff and and trying to mix it mix it all together. Yeah. So it did take me a while to truly find a sound, but I did know what I wanted in my head. Um so I think that's really where that comes from, all these influences. And it's like I love hard house as well, like that whole hard whole hard house. Alcida was what I grew up listening to as well. Mm. So trying to use influences from each of these and make them into a track is a bit confusing and complicated and my head's all over the place, but I did know what I wanted and I finally think I found that sweet spot. And yeah, the people seem to be catching on to it and like I play it all in my sets as well. And people are like, what is this? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because, yeah. Yeah, because I, I guess it's not, no one's been playing it for years, right? Yeah. And I think obviously, especially in the UK with like Patrick doing what he's doing on Trick yeah, has like helped massively with that sound. Yeah. Um, like that allowed me because when I was, I was thinking, where am I going to put these tracks? Because no one wants them. Like literally no one would sign them. And then when Patrick said he was launching Trick, that was like, I need to get on Trick because mm -hmm. I knew Patrick, he would dabble into these different sounds. Like he does play a lot of house disco, but he'll go into like a bit of hard house, a bit of techno, a bit of trance. And he said his label was going to be diverse and mm. he would take on a lot of music. And uh, it was a trick I tried to get on for ages and he finally accepted the tracks and then people were able to hear them and hear these different sounds. Yeah. Um, and then lucky now, like I'm actually able to get on these old hard house labels and stuff. It's mad. What hard house labels? Tidy, tidy tracks. Are you like, on Tidy? The pinnacle of hard house yeah and like they asked me to remix tony dv the hard yeah. house legend and it's just it's mental to me like when i tell my mom and stuff about that they're like what like tidy and then now and then i played the tidy festival now i'm going back doing a headline it's crazy so sick i remember like, to me, that is like when i done that tidy show just in june there like i kid you not it was in pontins like caravan park 
it was nuts. And I stayed like in the caravans with everybody, right? <laughs> well, it was a chalet, sorry, not a caravan. And um, the energy, it was all the old school ravers. I'm not joking. And I always wish that I'd got to experience that 90s. Mm. And I swear, I think that's probably the closest I got that night. Me and a few of my mates went, my cousin, and we still talk about it. We're like, what? Like, everybody was, like, dressed up mad, raving. Mm. No one really had their phones out. No disrespect to the phone thing, but, like, it's facts. It does make the energy better. Yeah. Um, everybody was going nuts, and I'm just like, this is mad. Like, this is the old school tidy, and now I'm playing here. <laughs> well, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think with the whole phone thing and just the modern-day raving, it's not about necessarily the rave. It's about, like... It's about it is about the rave, but it's also about how can you tell everybody that you're at the rave and having mm-hmm. the best time. And I think, don't get me wrong, phones and everything like that really help us as in the industry. Like, if it wasn't for phones, the Creamfield set probably wouldn't have got to where you, where you are now, right? Because there's two sides to it, definitely. Yeah, it's fucking great, but there is something about going to a sweaty club and. I think also with the tidy stuff, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's generally a bit of an older crowd now because it's... Oh, it was. It was all... It was like, I think I was probably the youngest there. (laughs) (laughs) And there's something about that when you have a bit of an older crowd, they're trying to relive what they kind of went through, right? Which is... There's that like nostalgic feeling and the leg... I couldn't even imagine the amount of leg warmers that were at that party. (laughs) Yeah, like bright, glowing dark, <laughs> glow sticks. Like the outfits were mad. And do you know what? If you wore that n- to a normal rave, like people would be filming you. Yeah. Or if you were dancing like that. But I love that people just didn't care. They let loose. Like, oh, it just felt amazing. But yeah. It's really, really interesting because you get that in America a lot more now with the whole like EDM culture, I guess, over there with like rave culture. It, it's actually way more prevalent in America than it is in the UK with like the old school rave right so like you'll play like edc and like everyone is wearing like rave gear it's really it's really interesting that it's kind of converted over there to where it is not here i went to ultra in miami and i did notice tell them wacky outfits <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy it's yeah. kind of crazy um what's the the most recent record you just released i forgot the name of it um, party all party. the time, party all the time. <laughs> yeah, fitting. where did this come out of? Come from? Well, <laughs> do you know the sample? Yeah, I, just I know the sample. Yeah, obviously, so I've loved the tune for a long time. Um, and then I just thought it was kind of fitting for me because, like, I do love a wee bit of a party. Um, and then yeah, just got the vocal replayed, and I never even expected that to. It was literally just going to be an edit for the sets. Yeah. It wasn't going to be, I just wanted to beef it up, mm. make it faster, obviously, um, because the original would not have fit into my sets. And then I just started playing it loads and um, the reaction was mental. Obviously, it's such a big sample, so people are going to know the words. Yeah. Everybody singing back still feels fucking great. <laughs> and um, then somebody filmed me playing, I think it was Creamfield South in May or something. And then it went viral on TikTok really? and then everyone released it. And I thought, do you know what? Give the people what they want. <laughs> you kill it on TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. So mad because 
it was during lockdown and I I was saying I'm not getting another app like I'm not doing it um, and it was more so for me to not be scrolling on social media yeah. during lockdown because it's all I was doing um, so nothing else to do I was like, and that was when TikTok was getting massive I was like I don't want another app and then I was like right I'll just get it and I'm so glad I did because it's helped grow, grow me so much and um, people could say negative things about it, negative things about everything, but it really has helped me. And it's helped grow my Instagram as well. Mm. It's, 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 a, it's a strange one because I'm I'm not a TikTok hater at all, but I just don't use it. I've yeah. like not, un- not gotten into the swing of using it. And it's more so for me, it's, exactly, it's the same as what you were saying. It's like, it's just another thing to add. However, yeah. like the more and more I'm having these conversations and the more and more I'm seeing friends outside of the industry, not just in music, like just blow the fuck up because of TikTok. Yeah, that's crazy. It is, it is mad what TikTok can do for some people. Um, like literally got a career out of TikTok. It's, it's mental. It's crazy. Do you, yeah. do you, do you struggle with, with the social media aspect of the industry or do you enjoy it? No, I struggle with it. But, yeah. what, what do you struggle um, with? I just, it's just like the negative comments and stuff. Um, people could say like they hate the music or whatever, and like yeah, it does you do feel it? But I'm like right, whatever. Not everybody's gonna like it. But so when people start getting personal, and I'm like oh, like people could say just ignore them and all that. But when people start getting personal about your appearance and like that's that is kind of what I struggle with and um, the pressure of it. Um, like now, obviously I get help with my social media. Like employed my little cousin because I can't keep on top of it because I'm so busy now. And so um, that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the pressure of it. it it's kind of hard. Yeah. What what I, pressure do you put on yourself about the social media? What do you mean? So you say like the pressure of the social media is the is yeah, just the having issue. to like post all the time and yeah. like sometimes, like I've been like. I'll give you a prime example. <laughs> I had, I was playing for Trek in Tenerife at the weekend, right? I was supposed to play twice. Yeah. I ended up playing four times, right? It was a mad weekend. It was nonstop. I was supposed to announce my fan parties on Monday via video. And I was traveling home and I was like, <laughs> I've been DJing for four days in a row. Like, I can't do this. And my management's like, Hannah, that post is supposed to go out. And I'm like, nah, like, I can't be standing filming myself talking at the camera. Like, I'm actually exhausted. Like, <laughs> this is going to need to wait. So, yesterday morning, I, I had to sleep, woke up in my dressing gown, filming myself on the camera. I was like, I don't even have time to get ready. I'm just going to need to be in my dressing gown. And that's it. And film myself. And say, now I'm like, management you have there was nothing to worry about what eight thousand signups <laughs> yeah eight thousand signups. at that time i'm like i just can't be bothered talking yeah. to the camera posting doing all the stuff that i need to do because although i've got someone helping post the stuff i still need to do the content yeah does that but i guess the question is is like does that stress you out when you know you haven't posted or is that like just a case of you just don't give a fuck uh, no it does stress me yeah. out because i know i'm like i've got a social media schedule so yeah. now, so two weeks, two weeks in advance, I know what I'm posting for the next two weeks, unless something else comes up. Yeah. Well, because there's always something to speak about. It's just kind of trying to get it in line and what content to use and blah blah blah. Mm. So if it's not, if I've not done the content or it's not ready for that day, then I'm 
do feel stressed about it. It's crazy. It's such a schedule. Like it's the same for me. It's like we generally know like what what we're posting most days. Yeah. Um, but it is crazy that social media is like a full time job now. Yeah, it definitely is. Like it really is. And it's if someone else wants you to post something, like I say, a promoter or and then I'm not, I've not done the content or I've been too busy or maybe I can't be bothered. Yeah. And then, then they're emailing my management and my management's emailing me and like, it is, it's a pressure. Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> but I know it's essential. So I need to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's so essential nowadays. And it's mm. the only way people kind of find out about anything that we do. Right. One of the gig flyers and posters and handing out leaflets. <laughs> Those, yeah. Do you reckon that will ever come back? No. No. Game over, innit? Yeah. I wish it would. Set in Ibiza, there's posters everywhere. Like, it's mad. But, yeah, you still... Do you think the posters help, or do you think your posters is an ego thing for the DJs? I'm not sure. Like... The billboards are definitely an ego thing. Yeah, massive billboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But I feel like before people go to Ibiza, they know the lineup for that week. Yep. 100%. Yeah, I had... I was in... Detroit the other day and I had friends that were going to Ibiza and they like literally had their week planned already yeah 100% that's like the norm yeah. people will have like their schedule how much to stick to that schedule after they get there I don't know but yeah the amazing thing they, they'd planned their hotel stays as well so they they were like checking into different hotels because with certain hotels you get different tickets so like oh. it was really clever I was like I've this you've really thought about this a lot they like went to Ibiza went to Ushuaia for like one night because they'd get tickets for Ushuaia and then high. And then oh, they stay okay. like Destino or something like that. And I was just like, yeah, it's pretty clever. I just don't fancy checking out 11 and you know, wait to three to check I back know, in. Right, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. How's, uh, how has your Ibiza summer been? Because this has really been your like first full summer, right? Yeah. Um, oh, God, it's been crazy. I think I've been like, had like nine trips and then the last trip I was like, I'm done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? Because <clears throat> obviously, how many seasons did you do out there? Three. Three. So you did three three summers and that started 10 years ago, right? Yeah. But then I've obviously been just go back and forward now. Yeah. So how has it changed for you from going from seasonal work to just flying out for headline shows honestly mental well first of all don't need to share an apartment <laughs> eight sweaty people <laughs> how gross were those apartments they're oh, so awful like, literally the dishes would be piled up oh and then like for example if you had a night off but everyone else had been out everyone would come in bring people back and yeah. you're like but like to be honest with you at that time like it was fun but i just don't think i can do that now fuck no <laughs> I remember my first apartment out there. It was a one-bedroom apartment, and there was a couple in the single room, and then there was three of us in the lounge, all on, like, blow-up beds, pretty much. And yeah. you're just like, it's fucking it gross. Was, I even stayed in the Highlander hostel for a season. <laughs> <laughs> it's upstairs from the Highlander. So you can imagine how loud it is on that West End. Six beds in one room. There's, like, half a kitchen. I think there's a microwave. And, like, everyone's sharing the toilet. It's mental. Yeah, that's gross. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how how has it changed? How's it different? How do you how does it make you feel like? And obviously yeah. that comes to the end of it, where it's like it's fucking work. It's hard. It's an it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's so crazy. Come back now to like DJ all the clubs and stuff. Obviously, I've just used to I DJ. I think Eden, like when I was doing seasons and yeah. Sankey's 
an Ocean Beach club. Um, that was like the furthest it got. Mm. But getting to go and do like Amnesia and High mm. and come back to play all these places now, it's it's amazing. It's like this is what I used to dream of when I was slogging away in the Highlander. <laughs> when um, no, it's actually hot. It's amazing. I actually, this year I went back to do a set at the Highlander. I was um, going to say, when is it? When are you going to do a set of the Highlander? I didn't know you did that. Videos, no. Pardon? Did you see any videos? I went and done it. This I done no, it. I didn't, um, I didn't know you did. Last month. Um, so basically, just announced it, um, like two or three hours before, um, and because I was playing that night in Eden, just down the road. Yeah. So I said, like, I'm going to come back into an hour at ten p.m., and I, I was out for a meal before it with the promoters that was playing the club show and the, there was loads of us so the food was taking ages so I literally just had a bit of steak and then I had to go so I was like 10 minutes late and like people were DMing me that like thinking it was fake like oh they, and they put up like on chalk in the Highlander like that fears <laughs> before DJ Hannah Ling tonight um, so like everyone knew about it um, and then I got there and then like the security had taken me upstairs everyone's standing just waiting um, <laughs> And I literally, I was feeling so sick because I'd just eaten that bit of steak. I was like, and I honestly thought the bit of steak was going to come up. <laughs> I was so nervous because everybody was just standing waiting on me. But then I got into it and it was amazing. They had to stop obviously letting people in. Um, and it was so mad to be back. Like all, like my old boss who had employed me, like they were all there like dancing on the bar and like it was so good. And some of the staff still work there now from really? back then. It was class. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It was good to do it again. That is Amazing. the one thing about I San Antonio generally, like, although it's like has a bad rep, right? But it's so British. It's so like just part of like Irish, Welsh, Scottish, English, like heritage of like just going out and getting fucking messy on the West End. West End is a messy, messy place. Like if you're walking up there at 3 a.m., the scenes you will see, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> That's actually terrifying. <laughs> I love it. It's I've had so many good memories around that though. And it's so easy to like, especially becoming successful DJs, touring DJs, it's so easy to kind of like turn up, turn your nose up at it, right? And it's like, mm. oh, this is a messy place. I don't want to do anything. But like most of our careers started there. Like my, I used to throw parties at Hush and it oh, was like it was so much fun. So yeah. much. My first- After I finished at the Highlander, like the workers place yeah, wasn't it it's the best my first ever show was at hush when i was 16 years old like in in ibiza and like those memories are just so important to like our careers generally it's... yeah people can say what they want about it but like that was where the party was at and you've got to start somewhere and like now i'll still go out and i go to the highlander before i go to the clubs when i'm out mm. even yeah it's good it's good fun per person of the people that's what you are <laughs> yeah what's the plan for the rest of the year um so i'm launching my doof label <laughs> what's to which... so, so explain the doof doof for the so, people that don't know well like originally i think it's actually an australian word it means like party or i think i read something else was like a heavy repetitive baseline yeah but in scotland it just means like banging music so people would always call banging music doof and if people had asked what kind of music i play i'd say it's like doof 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 yeah. doof because it's hard do you know what i mean and when i was 
I used to do a radio show and it was called Hannah's Choice and it was like Hannah's Choice of Tunes and I used to throw parties called that and like I kind of grew out of it and I was trying to think of a name for my brand yeah label whatever it may be and I was just like yeah it's got to be doof (laughs) and do you know what I've never thrown a doof party I've never launched a record label all I've done is launch some t-shirts and I can't explain how mad it's gone. Like everybody's getting it tattooed. Yeah. Like, there's so many tattoos. People have got doof on flags. People just message me doof doof or people will be shouting doof. They've got doof on their phone at the raves. It's just grown so much without doing much. And now I'm so excited to launch the label now that the word's in everybody's mouth. That's amazing. <laughs> what? So with the label, what's the plan? So I'm going to launch um, the first... I'm going to be the first person launching on the label and it's going yeah. to be a three-track EP and that is in five weeks. Sick. And this then, will probably be out then. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, maybe. I've mentioned it before anyway. Yeah. Um, and the then I'm going to start doing diff parties. Um, I'm getting loads of requests for like diff stuff to be doing parties or stages here and there. And I'm so like, oh. Sick. So sick. Um, yeah, have you ever, it, when you're in Australia, because you just got back from Australia last week, yeah. um, they don't they call them doof, but uh, bush doof? Bush doofs or gay parties, poof doofs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, yeah. Oh, oh, my man was like saying to my agent over there, like, you need to get a hand on the bush doofs and that. Yeah. Like, obviously, I was wearing my doof t shirts and stuff over there, and yeah, everyone was like, oh, doof. So, yeah, it's class. Yeah, they love it over there. I remember when I, somebody told me about a bush doof, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> they're, they're crazy. How was Australia for you? Well, honestly, like, I was scared because it was my first tour, and I didn't know if I was really well known or anything over there. And um, I, kind of expected to just go over for my first tour and do like a club show run but I ended up getting booked for Listen Out Festival four festivals and you do all the festivals in like all the different places like Perth yeah. Brisbane blah 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 and then we built the clubs around that and like the welcome I got was insane and it really reminded me of Scottish people the energy they have is mental mm. I was like yes um, and everyone was so welcome and oh, it's the Scottish flags and no way. a lot of people obviously from the UK that move over there. Yeah. UK and Ireland. And so all those people came out to support as well. And it was amazing. I really didn't want to come home. Like Melbourne especially. Wow. Melbourne's it's- Melbourne's a beautiful city. Like I, I've like we, we spoke about it before you went, but yeah. like I'm I've never been I've never been popular in Australia. So like for me, like Australia touring has always been pretty tough as much as it can be like there's certain shows that are amazing. Like the last yeah. show I played in Perth was fucking mental. Like you would have loved yeah. it. The like warm up DJ was playing like 135, 138 <laughs> BPM before I came on. And like the, the kit there was just like full of kids. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, like just fucking ravers, just like banging Energy. it out. And they loved it. But yeah, for me, it's always been like hit and miss generally. But like I knew from like, cause I know Patrick's very big over there. Yeah. And I think like you have kind of taken that sound to another level of what Patrick, even what Patrick has done. Yeah. Um, and you've got uh, need, the Need to Freak party out there, which is Wongo's party. And that's like pushing that sound hard as well. Yeah, I know. I really think that um, the sound is really starting to move over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially in Australia. Like, 
some places aren't taking it on, some places won't, but Australia is definitely taking it on. Yeah, it's it's such that it's a very unique sound. How do you how do you see that growing around the world? Yeah, it's a difficult one. It's something that I do worry about because as you say, it's very niche sound and you just don't know how people take it in other places. But I do think obviously certain places I play, like I will alter what I play. I think mm. I've got experience of playing a lot of different genres and I do still love a lot of other music. And yeah. I think certain places you would just need to tone it down and adjust it a bit to make it work. Yeah. But yeah, some I think like for example when I'm coming over to America, I'm like worrying about that. How will they take it? I'm gonna to need to adjust it and um yeah, because it's, it's a very UK sound. <laughs> When's your first time in America? Um, March. Next year? Yeah. Sick. And then I've got, f- and then I'm coming back in May. Yeah. So I've got a few things happening, yeah. yeah. What, can you talk about them or not? Um, <laughs> I don't think so, no, but I'll fine. tell you after. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I hear what you're saying, but I think there's also for me, like on like an artistic point of view, where I'm just like, just fucking do what you do. Yeah. yeah. It's like stick to your guns because I think there will be a small crowd or there might be a massive crowd that will want what they've seen you do. Yeah, I think that is a difficult one as yeah. well. It's like if you're playing to a massive crowd and people are not reacting, should you change up what you're doing to try mm-hmm. and get them to enjoy it or should you just stick to you? And for me, like, although I'm changing up a bit, it's still going to be my style yeah it's not going to be i'm not going to start playing disco that's good that's what <laughs> but it's, it's, it, that is a difficult one like it is it really is because people do want to see you for your sound yeah and i think i think the thing is is the whole point of it right is like you can alienate people can come to the show because they know n- love what you do right and i say this about every single show for me and it might be different for you where you, everyone's just fucking selling out left right and center every show is selling out left right and center for you but like for me my thing is like okay one person out of 10 people know who i am they're at the party and they've brought nine other people to that party whether it's friends or whether it's a friend and a a partner like boyfriend girlfriend like they've kind of dragged them along to think that they might like the party and those friends are like generally like-minded people so they're gonna, I have to do what I'm doing because if I play a set that isn't me and then they're like, oh, I love Will Clark and then they come to see me and I play an actual set that I do, that is me, they're not gonna like it. No, I totally get that, 100%. It's it's like opening a can of Heinz baked beans and it not being Heinz baked beans. It's like, well, I want what I'm supposed to have. No, definitely. And whether you alienate a bunch of crowds during that, at least you're still being true to yourself. Yeah, definitely. So, do you think that America are going to like the 140 diff? I think they. I think. Well, do you do you know Little Texas? No. You have to Google him. Is he playing the sound? He's playing harder. Really? Like way harder. Like 170. What? Like what kind of music? House. Right. Like hard. Like hard. really hard. hard. Like really hard, um, and his he's huge. Right, I'm gonna Google him after this. <laughs> he's, he's, he, he, he 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 was on the podcast, so check it out. Um, yeah. He's 
a lovely guy. But yeah, there's this like Dutch hard scene that's kind of popping off in America as well. And okay. I think like, I, I, I wouldn't be worried. That's but, good to know. I, I, you know me, like I'm a warrior. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be worried. I think people, and the thing is, I think you're so big in the UK now that it will translate and it will grow. Mate, we've just done nearly an hour. Let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so fucking happy for you. Like genuinely, I'm so fucking happy. It couldn't have happened to a better person. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, I'm here if you ever need anything and keep it up. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you getting me on and I'll hopefully be seeing you soon in the studio. Are we, are we doing something? Yeah, I think so. I seen your name pop up in my diary. I was like, but I think we're just trying to sort dates because okay. we'll get back in together. We'll That'd have a lot good. of fun. It'll be good, definitely. Right, keep safe. I catch Thank you, soon. you mate. Bye. Peace. And that's a wrap. Big love to Hannah for coming on. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Please share it with your friends. It's a great one. Keep safe. See you next time.